Welcome to our main, Multiple Lenses for Tefillah Education. This podcast series hosts a panel of tefillah educators led by Rabbi Svi Hirschfield in an invigorating discussion of how to make prayer relevant to young people. As our focus, we'll use a menu of educational goals developed by the Pardes Center for Jewish Educators, where each educator explores this episode's prayer through a lens of either connecting to God, developing a sense of Jewish community, or cultivating personal growth. We hope this podcast challenges you to improve tefillah education, and let us say, Amen. Welcome to all of our faithful listeners. I use the term faithful, tefillah podcast, I figured it was appropriate. Uh, by the looks I'm getting from my partners here, maybe not so much. Welcome to Amen, or Amen, depending upon uh, your preferences, uh, a podcast that looks at uh, multiple lenses for tefillah education, and I would add also for improving or working on our own tefillah practice, not just as educators, but as uh, Jews who pray. So uh, I am blessed to be joined by two outstanding colleagues, uh, Sefi Kraut is here, uh, uh, a member of the PCJE team, and I also have, uh, we have uh, Ruven Margaret, who is also joining us today, so we are blessed to have both of you and your knowledge and your insight. So today our topic is the, uh, the opening three blessings of the Shwanasre, of the Amidah, uh, and that includes the blessing of the Avot, Magain Avraham, uh, the blessing of Gvurav, Triat HaMetim, depending upon one's practice, not all denominations have Triat HaMetim, uh, and the blessing of Kedushah, of holiness. So we're going to begin with uh, Sefi, who's going to talk about uh, the blessing of Avot. Thank you, Tzvi. It's good to be here. Um, it's interesting that the Amidah begins with the bracha of Avot. Uh, we say in the bracha, bless is God, Elokeinu, who is our God, and then immediately we follow with Elokei Avoteinu, the God of our fathers, Elokei Abraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's interesting, I think, that we approach God here from two fronts. First, recognizing God in our own context, in our own time, and then giving the historical um, context in which we approach God not only as ourselves within our own time, but also with this backdrop of being connected to the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and in that regard, we're kind of making our tefillah uh, broader and anchoring it in tradition and in community. And so when I come to tefillah, right, my tefillah becomes all of a sudden all the more powerful in that it, it is, I'm not only representing myself here, but I have this long-standing relationship with God. And it reminds me a little bit, just last night I attended the Siyum Hashas for women at uh, the convention center here in Jerusalem, Binyanei Uma. And it was a really astounding evening. And there was a, a Talmud teacher there who was asked what she loves about learning Torah. And she said that part of it is that it puts her in conversation with generations of people before her who learned the Torah, which is actually a conversation you and I had together, Tzvi, in a, in a different context just about a week ago. And I think tefillah, in some ways, is, is the same. We're coming to God and not only as ourselves, but with this 
anchored power of where we come from, um, going all the way back to our forefathers. So I, I, I wanted to follow up with you. You know, you made a really strong case as to uh, how this can enhance. I'm wondering if you also could think about with us when it could get in the way. Like when someone says, well, to pray from the Sidur is to really identify with the tradition of tefillah and the fact that Jews for generations have prayed this way really connects me, Mm -hmm. I think, to the idea of wider community, both, uh, you know, vertically and horizontally. What about that feeling of, but these words aren't my words, and uh, I don't know if the God that previous generations are connecting to really speaks from my own place where I am with God. What would you say to that? Or in Ruben, you can jump in on that also, how you'd respond to that. I would say certainly a legitimate difficulty. Um, and I don't know that it has to be mutually exclusive. You know, I think uh, in a person's life, they can kind of choose in tefillah which element of tefillah they are most relating to in that moment. But this angle is one that might be powerful for someone at different points in time in their life and it exists for you and if that's not the angle that speaks to you in that moment then I think focusing on L.O.K. Nu is is just as legitimate. Beautiful. Ruben? I mean I mean I hear the struggle I think for young people this idea of how do you connect to something which they don't necessarily feel ownership of and I think young people, the people we work with, they might they they connect with certain things like let's say sports teams. They 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 like a sense of individuality, but they also like to belong to something bigger than themselves or youth groups. Whether mm-hmm. it's you know BBYO, Bnei Akiva, whatever youth groups are out there. Ruvain's yeah. British. He doesn't know about <laughs> it. Um, so it's it's like this sense of belonging, and you know I'm wondering if. Well, it's also a sense of tribalism, which I think you know social scientists like to say that people like to belong to mm-hmm. tribes, and there's a certain tribalism amongst people. Um, and we have, we have, as in some sense, it might not be politically correct, but we have a tribe, right? It's the tribe of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Sarah, Rachel, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, um, and that's our tribe. And you know, on the one hand, there's a, a large amount of individuality in Jewish faith, but there's also a sense of we're part of something bigger, we're part of a people, a nation. Um, and I think this tefillah is a way, as, as Sefi, you're saying, it's a way of connecting to that as an individual through the Elokeinu, our God, but also we're, we're part of something bigger than ourselves, uh, a people, a nation bigger than ourselves. And that's a, that's a struggle. So, you know, that's, you know, so the, the prayer's dealing with that. So we shouldn't shy away from it, but we can explore it. Right. I think, you know, hearing uh, what each of you are saying uh, reminds me of uh, what it's like to be in school as a younger sibling to somebody. Right? In certain circumstances, I meet, re- may really want my teachers to know my last name and associate me with the sibling or siblings that came before me. And other times, I just want them to know me as Sefi and not have any association with anyone who came before me or who's connected to me. And I, I can see that tension that, that, that you, each of you is, you know, is raising here. Um, I wonder if for young people, as Ruben said, it would help to kind of 
uh, to highlight another element that it's not only this connection to the past, but also the connection to others around us. Meaning if you were to walk into any synagogue, right, and you, around the world, and you hear that, you would know this first bracha that everybody is saying. And, in, and to some degree, that connection, not only with our past, but the connection to those around us, the community that is created through tefillah, may also be a powerful angle to, uh, or something that might, as Ruben said, uh, help young people feel like they belong. Look, I think, and I think there's no doubt that all of those things, whether it's praying in Hebrew and using the classical siddur and even the language of the tefillot, which all really cultivate this sense of a group identity and belonging to this, uh, to this wider thing, uh, we know that that can often come at the price of our personal uh, tefillah and our personal connection. Uh, you know, some groups like, you know, I think uh, Breslov is famous for just splitting the two, right? You do your communal thing with the Sidur, and then you do your Hitbo de Dut in your own private personal conversation with God outside of that framework. Uh, I don't know if that's the solution. It's one solution, but uh, maybe as educators, we also have to pay closer attention to cultivating the personal. Uh, sometimes the, the measurable things like the text of the Siddur and knowing the tefillah and knowing the structure and getting the words right and, you know, this whole idea of giving them tools to join any community and participate uh, is great. But maybe we also do have to be mindful that the leaving real space for the personal is, uh, is important uh, and that we have to at least pay attention to that and figure out some of the balance. I mean, I'd say also that this is, I mean, the closing of a bracha... Blessed are you, Lord Shield of, of Abraham. One, one can't imagine perhaps more of an individualistic trailblazer, perhaps in the world, than Abraham. So even though we're collectively, communally saying this prayer, is actually referencing a person who was completely uh, individualistic uh, at his time. So there's like a tension in there. Okay. So... Now that we've solved that blessing for everybody, uh, let's go on to uh, Ruven. What do you have to share with us about the uh, the blessing of Gvura, God's power? God is right, divine. It says here in my chance, divine might. Might. Um, that's from the Koran. I need to fill a Divine might. Okay. So, um, I, I was thinking generally about the the theme of like of God's power, divine might. What do we like? What's it focusing on? And there's this, it, it focuses certainly in the, in the, the Koran, I need to feel a Tisidor, the text is Mechayemetim, uh, who gives life to the dead. And the closing of the bracha is Mechayemetim, who revives the dead. Um, and just before that, the Ne'emanatalachayotmetim, faithful are you to revive the dead. It feels like there's this whole, like, like God beyond nature, God doing things which, which I think at our core, like life is something at the core of us. Like the, the most personal thing we have is, or the most precious thing that we have is our life. And what the blessing is saying is that God has even the power over that, right? And even something which might appear dead, uh, God has the, the power to revive it. Um, which, and I always looked, kind of looked at the world around me and would think, you know, when it's winter time and you see the leaves falling off and trees just look dead, 
you know, maybe it's different in Jerusalem because it feels like we never actually have a real winter here. But or trees. <laughs> Just kidding, everyone. Um, but when I was like in when I when I lived in Michigan, um, the, you, it, it felt like the world was dying, literally dying around you. There's this covering of white snow on everything, like a blanket of death. <laughs> like, it's a real plug for Michigan, Ruben. Yeah. 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 yeah, come to Michigan and enjoy the blanket of death. Um, and and but but then miraculously you'd see buds coming in the springtime and this you know in the summer the spring summer was completely beautiful and you're like wow like you know but there can be life it feels like there can be life after death um, and it feels like this bracha is really focusing on God's power over over nature over the world to be beyond nature. Um, like I was thinking, like counter nature or like countercultural. Like there's a way of doing things, or there are things like there's. It looks like there's processes in place, and then God can come and just like mix it all up, um, which I think is really empowering. So there's like that on the divine like scale of things, but like personally, um, that means that I'm not I'm not in control of everything. That what we think when thing we think things in my personal life might be going one way, perhaps something else can be going, or if someone's on a downward trajectory. Um, you know, there can be life after death. You can go back up. You know, so I think what we see on the divine is kind of represented uh, at all stages through nature and through our own lives. So for me, that's like a really powerful uh, message to take home. Sethi, any comments on Ruben's blanket of death that you'd like to share? <laughs> Um, you know, I visited Michigan once in the summer. I thought it was beautiful. Okay. I guess I was I was in the alive stage. I of guess the, there are no skiers here, is my yeah. uh, sense of thing. <laughs> I love Michigan. <laughs> Any reactions? Your own associations with this bracha? Um, yeah, I think Ruben, you've succeeded. Uh, <laughs> you've succeeded in bringing a bracha, giving meaning to a bracha that I'm not sure I ever really understood. You know, I always saw it as a um, about this notion of triata metim and kind of an esoteric uh, concept. I didn't really understand what it meant, and I think you're you're bringing it, um, you're, you know, you're bringing it into understandable terms. Um, and I I I think it really is a, a powerful concept. So I think you know it's interesting, especially if we think about the idea that. Uh, uh, if prayer is also meant to instill certain values, right? That uh, if God is sustaining life, then we have to sustain life, right? And I think it, it could really prompt the question, okay, if God is michalkel chayim b'chesed, if God sustains life uh, through kindness, uh, what am I doing to sustain life through kindness? And I think it doesn't only have to be this heroic, you know, I work at a hospital and I perform CPR, but uh, they're all different ways that we can act in the world to sustain one another uh, and offer support to one another. Uh, and I think that uh, this sense of reflecting on the own way you feel personally supported in this world, uh, you know, I think the idea there is that uh, that should inspire us to then want to offer that type of support and help to others. Uh, so I think that there's a very powerful sort of ethic here that if God is helping us and sustaining us, you know, what's our role in the world of helping and sustaining other people as well? Uh, and especially if we take, a, you know, the metaphoric understanding of, you know, death 
You know, the Talmud compares impoverished people to dead people. It compares to be a slave to be a dead person. So, you know, not to take this, not to go the zombie route, but there, there are, from that perspective, there, there are people who are metaphorically, you know, in some ways dead around us, that an element of their capacity, of their life potential, is not being met. And so what would it mean for us to devote ourselves to, you know, giving life to people who uh, are experiencing that type of uh, metaphorical death uh, around us. So I think that's an interesting approach we could also take on the, on the sort of the midot uh, and character building level. Any other comments, Ruvain? No, that was beautiful. Oh, I'm glad you liked that. Okay, <laughs> well, that's why you're here, to, to praise me, uh, you know. Uh, okay, so I'm just going to briefly... Uh, the last blessing, you know, what does it mean to call God holy? Uh, I, I can say that I do not understand. I've never understood. But uh, Rav Cook says something very interesting in his commentary, in his Einaya commentary, talking about Shabbat. He talks about Kedushah, if I'm, and I'm probably, I might not be getting him right, so those of you who actually know Rav Cook will forgive me. Uh, but he seems to talk about Kedushah as a, a God's presence being manifest in the world like it's a it's a, a sign of actual godliness like on the one hand he would argue as a good mystic that godliness is everywhere all the time but sometimes it may, it's made more manifest like his example is Shabbat the holiness of Shabbat is that Shabbat is a outward and tangible manifestation of, of God's holiness so when we say about God being holy uh, my take there is this idea of we are acknowledging God's presence Right, that God is present somehow, not just God's not just an abstract idea or a concept, but God's energy and force is somehow present for us. When we talk about El Akadosh, that uh, God is present. It also talks about other holy beings praising God, which means that holiness isn't just a one, it doesn't only belong to God, but we know from uh, the Bible, right? We're commanded to be holy. So I think from, from this perspective, we are also commanded to behave or be in the world in such a way that makes God's presence manifest. So I think when we pray, perhaps we are sort of saying, we're, we're, we're kind of acknowledging God not just as an abstract concept, but a presence or a force or an energy that is really present in the world uh, and a presence in a way that we can appreciate and draw from and maybe even inspire us to emulate and trying to be holy ourselves. What would you... Um, the fact that this, this blessing is... that There's kind of two versions of it. There's the version which you say in the Minyan. I mean the Kedushah, yeah. Yeah, um, like the extended version. How does the Minyan play into, play into this? Well, that's a good question. Uh, like, why we only say that expanded Kedushah with the Minyan. Look, the Kedushah itself is this uh, interesting thing where we recite these verses that we say the angels say when they praise God or when they're in God's presence. So there's this sense of that we are emulating the angels in this prayer. Uh, there's interesting debate. Are we, are we claiming that we can be angel-like or are we simply praising or developing an awareness of this celestial world that we don't really see or maybe don't uh, often don't experience. But I think there's this idea that when we're with others, uh, we have this capacity to be most angelic 
or let's just, or maybe the other way around, the time we need to be most angelic is when we're with others, right? Other people can either bring out the best of us or the worst of us, and maybe there's this sense of, I want to see other people as an opportunity to bring out the kedusha that we all have, uh, to bring out our best selves as opposed to bringing about our worst selves. But I don't know. I just was thinking about that now. So, Sefi, thoughts on kedusha? What? Really more a question. Terrific. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just thinking... For Ruvain, you mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what would it mean for a middle school student or a high school student to think about the notion of God as present? Or to experience God as present? Uh, you know, it's a really interesting question. I guess it, some of it depends on our theology. right? Do they think of God as a personal being? And they could think about moments where they have felt supported or cared for or commanded by God. They could also think of God being sometimes this, you know, internal uh, best self, the, 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 the energy within us that, that, that brings out the most we have to offer. Uh, so that sense of divine presence could be anything from I feel this other being supporting me, with me, commanding me, loving me, challenging me. Or it could be this... Uh, you know, I have this internal drive uh, to bring my best self out into the world. Or there's this energy that I think infuses everything. That An energy that, you know, as Art Green would say, that connects us and binds us and pushes us forward. So I guess some of it depends on theology. Uh, it's a good question. I guess that would come up in any context of tefillah, but uh, here in particular. I mean, I, I'm wondering if there's particular examples they experience in their own lives where maybe, like, even though they're by themselves, they feel the presence of, let's say, their parents, mm-hmm. right? Um, or when they're at school, even though their teacher's not present in, in the classroom, they somehow, they feel that a teacher's present, even though not actually present. And so if we could start off with examples that they might experience in their own lives, and then say, oh, hey, you know, that also happens in the divine, <laughs> in the godly world as well. Um, but yeah, I'm sure they, they I mean we all probably ex- have that experience of presence even though that presence isn't necessarily present but if we say that God's omnipresent that's probably, that might be theological presence is not seen <laughs> right. or felt or hidden um, I mean I like just with the Kedusha the, the idea that there's also, it's very physical like you're, you're stepping up you're, you're raising yourselves up towards something, so whether that's your elevating yourself towards God or towards your, you know, aspiring to be the best version of yourself or to be like the angels, you know, um, I just think that's an interesting, you know, it's interesting body movements that go along with, it, with this bracha. So any uh, educational advice for the teaching of these blessings that you'd want to share, something that you feel like would be helpful that you would want to do if you had a you're teaching a vote to, you know, a group of kids, something you'd want to point to, or a little activity, thought? So, I mean, just one thought. It, it just, I, I feel that as we've gone through the first three brachats, uh, there's like, it's just different themes. And like, so it feels like some days you might connect to more the avot, uh, the ancestral theme, and plugging into history. You know, sometimes you might plug into, a student might plug into, like, 
you know, God in nature or God that can transform. And sometimes you might plug into the, the Kedusha aspects, the holiness aspects, either of God or of yourself. That, you know, you might not, but I mean, like, yeah, the expectation maybe for young people and for ourselves is that we shouldn't, like, feel sparks flying right through every bracha you don't feel sparks flying through every bracha I'm very disappointed everyone I assume that anybody on this podcast felt sparks um, you know I don't want to you know, obviously talk about myself but um, but yeah but you know if you can if you can at least connect to a bracha through you know as we go through explore these the, the, the 19 bracha of Shemona Esrei or, or connect through a, at least a word from one of the bracha you know that would be a great aspiration so you know, even though I think we're talking lofty about all of the brachot and you know deep ideas, you know, that that doesn't necessarily have to translate into that's what you feel every time during every tefillah. Um, and it could be that students, you know, if you do, depending on what the practice of the, of the community is or the school, you know, maybe I don't know if you, if, if everyone has to say or it's halakhically challenging, maybe, but like say all brachot all the time, you know, maybe a student can meditate on one of them. Um, or focus, even if you say all of them, focus on one or take time to focus on one. Um, uh, yeah, it's not, I don't think it's all or nothing. Okay. I think in, in connection to the bracha of avot, um, it, it may be powerful for students to explore commonalities. When, you know, what do they have in common with a friend of theirs? What do they have in common with a family member of theirs? What do they have in common with, a, you know, a, a, a grandparent or someone who attends their shul? And, and kind of seeing how multiple connections and the more connections that you have with people can help you feel or ask them, you know, what, what does this connection do for you, right? Ha- having, you know, and exploring uh, common denominators. Um, and you can add some Tanakh study in here as well. What, what might you have in common with Abraham? What might you have in common with Yitzchak? What might you have in common with Yaakov and the Imahot as well? And then think about exploring that foundation and what it is to be a part of something. Um, you know, as Tzvi said, there's a flip side to that element, which is, you know, that, that side of things which could be challenging in tefillah, but we might be able to help students feel proud of their, the connections they have with Avod and the tradition that they have, um, whether it goes all the way back to Avod and Imahod or within their own families, and think about that in relation to, to God. So these are really nice ideas. Uh, one thing I've been doing with, I teach a class on Filah to primarily mostly disinterested 18-year-olds. <laughs> but uh, what, I have, what I try to do at the end of each session is, for example, if I'm looking at, if I'm looking at Kedusha, I'll, I'll give them a writing prompt to say, my, if I felt holy, how would my day be different? I'd ask them to list five things if they felt that, in other words, as a hypothetical, I'm not saying I do feel holy, but if I did, how might that turn out? And it's, it's amazing how, no matter what the prompt is, if I felt, you know, like Avraham, if I felt like, if I felt more powerful, the, the you know, to, if I felt like I could restore life, right? Uh, the, the answers are always, they always come out with, I'd be more generous, I'd be more patient, I'd be, in other words, it's, it's really an amazing thing. And so if we could just sort of point out, this is like a brief moment to sort of enter that space of, you are now that thing. 
right? You are now like Avraham. You are now, uh, you now also have might, or you have received chesed, right? What's it like to go through your day with that thought? And it's amazing how these positive thoughts really can translate into positive behavior. Uh, and you can see the tefillah as a prompt to just sort of let that thought be present in your mind, even if it's just for 10 or 15 seconds. Uh, and I think that that can, because the, the other thoughts that are going on in there are often their anxious thoughts, their worried thoughts, their negative thoughts. And what does it mean to replace those thoughts with thoughts of holiness or chesed or being connected to Avram or Sarah for that matter? And I think that that's, uh, it's, it's an important prompt that uh, we all benefit from, and I think our students might benefit from uh, as well. So we are coming to a close of another exciting and meaningful and deep episode of Amen. I can't get used to that title yet. I'm still working on it. Uh, but again, just as, a, as, as I say every time, the, the two main lessons I hope you as educators will take is number one, uh, if you're not working on your own philop practice, it's very hard to help other people work on theirs. So if you're engaged in this, start with educating yourself and working on your own practice. And the second one is the results are never immediate, right? That uh, we don't have any magic, uh, I don't like to use the word bullets, magic pills or potions. Maybe that's not great either, but uh, right, to, to, to make all of this work. Uh, it's a spiritual discipline. Uh, and uh, but if we can give that discipline, that spiritual discipline, to our students, no matter where you are theologically, no matter where you are with observance, the gift of spiritual discipline and directing our hearts and minds towards uh, important ideas and values is a gift that uh, we can give them, and they deserve. So until next time, from Jerusalem, which is not currently under a blanket of death, Ruvain. There's no <laughs> snow here. Uh, plenty of life. Uh, we wish you uh, meaningful uh, tefillah for you and your students. For our database of tefillah resources and to learn more about tefillah goals, go to tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-A-H dot pardes dot org. And for more great podcasts, visit elmad, E-L-M-A-D dot pardes dot org. See you next time. Bye.